0: Hey, welcome back to the Samurai Archives Podcast. This is Chris,
1: and today I'm here with Nate. Hello, and today we have uh, Trevor Absalon for a, a 3 Oh,
2: thank you, and good to be back.
1: So uh, the reason we're having our podcast today is uh, a while back you had produced a uh, documentary on uh, well, the title of the documentary is Ritual: The Samurai of the Soma Noma Oi, which is uh, I guess a a festival, or well, it's it's more than a festival, and this takes place in uh, took place in Fukushima. And so, you know, a couple things. Uh, of course, we want to talk about the documentary because it's, it's, I found it fascinating. But we're also, we also want to talk about that area now and, uh, you know, w- what happened after the tsunami and sort of what's going on with the Soma Noma Oi, if anything, and that sort of thing. But I, I guess I'd like to start with how, how did you get involved in, in making a documentary on a Japanese festival? And then, of course, uh, if you want to kind of let us, let the listeners know exactly what the festival is all about.
2: Sure. Yeah, this could take a while. but. To begin with, I I, um, initially became involved in um, when I was uh, dealing Japanese armor and traveling around the country looking for items to source and sell that I ended up, uh, you know, working my way into Fukushima and I visited a few shops and uh, while I was in one, I noticed a poster on the wall and it, you know, showed all these guys in armor and on horses and I was like, wow, that looks pretty, pretty interesting. What's that all about? And, you know, the people... Just, you know, mentioned, well, wow, it's this local festival and they wear armor and they do things. And they sort of explained it, but they didn't go into a lot of, you know, so that sounds pretty neat. I'd, I'd like to check that out. And so I came back when in the days they said the festival was going to be on and I was awestruck. It was a real time slip. And I'd always been very interested in the different festivals around Japan and made an effort to visit most of them. You know, the Kanto and Nebuta, and Nebuta and all those ones. And and yet I'd never heard of the Soma no more. And I still think, um, even today in the remnants of what's left, it is probably one of the most impressive festivals in Japan. And um, it's also the last authentic samurai festival in Japan. And people go, well, wait a sec, there's the Yabusame and different events like that, but which are held in, um, well, there's a couple different ones held around Japan, uh, I believe the main one that was held down at um, Niko, and. That was instituted post-war because it was a good tourist draw. It never happened there prior. It was just something they did because it drew tourism and it was good marketing. But the Soma Nomoi has been going on for roughly 1,080-some years consecutively with a a few years um, gap in the early Meiji period when it was actually uh, repressed. But uh, it's the closest thing you will see anywhere in the world, including Japan, to... An authentic samurai training event so I saw it I was awestruck said this is absolutely amazing um, can I do this and you know people kind of hummed and hawed and said well you know you could but uh, <clears throat> excuse me there'd be a lot of things to consider one you'd have to have a very good understanding of the language um, and uh, perhaps even beyond that you had to have pretty deep pockets because there's a lot of money involved in participating in this event. It's not like they have a bunch of gear that they loan out and they dress you up like uh, what would we say? Um, is that the Jidai Matsuri
1: in uh, Nara? They um,
2: right, right, y- yeah. Which you yeah, know, or if you've Uzumasa, seen that,
1: where they dress you up with the uh, the the fake top knot and all that.
2: Yeah, it, it you know okay, it looks good and all that, but this is one where most of the participants, um, you know, they're they're fielding their own armor. You have to field your own horse furnishings. And they all have to be historically correct, particularly in regards to the horse furnishings. You have to have a horse or rent a horse or lease a horse, all of which are very expensive. Um, you have to pay attendants to assist you and take care of you. You need accommodations. You need also, So to participate in the event, you can drop several thousand dollars just to partake. And then right. if you're really going to be involved, there's a lot of training and uh, engagements that you have to be involved in in the community to really prove yourself. and. Um, it's not to say foreigners um, or even you know Japanese from other parts of Japan haven't partaken and, and, and can't, um, but uh, the financial aspects are something that really keeps a lot of people out of it so that's how I got started uh Do you want me to keep going or did you want to throw another question in there
1: uh well, I would say just uh you know mainly how you got where the idea of a documentary came from, although I guess it is pretty self evident it's pretty spectacular, but uh, how you actually went forward with that uh
2: when it comes to the documentary i participated in the festival for several years myself and one of the reasons was to promote it and um this takes some explaining i wanted to promote it not you know for myself so much but as a way of preserving the festival and when i speak of preserving One of the things is, um, again, this festival is, is for the most part, unknown in Japan. Most Japanese have never heard about it. And I would tell them, oh, I'm a participant of the Soma No Ooi, you know, one of the important cultural heritage events in in Japan. And, you know, people just look at me with a blank stare in their eyes and go, never heard of it, you know. And that was in Japan. And you didn't even have to go a couple of prefectures away. and Nobody knew about it. It was very localized. They didn't really market it. It was pretty much something they did for themselves because it was part of their local cultural identity. And, um, but on the flip side of the coin, I guess you could say that because they didn't market it and it really wasn't a tourist driven event, there, there really wasn't anything to support it. And when the economy was good, like in the 80s and, you know, until the, I guess the early 90s, a lot of the you know, people, they had the extra money and funds to, you know, buy this equipment and keep these items and, per, you know, and to participate. But as the economy has changed over the last 20, 30 years in Japan, and you guys are both aware of this, you know, the uh, you've had consistent deflation. And, uh, you know, it's pretty tough times for a lot of Japanese overall in comparison to what it was, you know, in the 80s and 90s. Um, the festival has shrunk and it is slowly wilting and and basically dying off and there's a number of reasons for that it's um, including as the local businesses are basically bought up and replaced by chain excuse me chains of businesses um, where the ownership is not local but from outside the region they're no longer giving the local the local people days off when the festivals on which when it was a local business owner they understood the importance of the festivals they'd give them the time off to go and participate um, there was a lot of support for it. In that regard, but now you have the younger people that can 't get the time off they 're not making the wages to really to be able to participate, and so you need to find another way to keep the festival alive and That was kind of where I was going, well, really, the only way to do it is you need outside money, and you 're not going to get that from the government or anywhere else. the best place, and the people who would appreciate it most would actually be foreign tourists and now this is a double edged sword you don't want to um, You know, ruin the festival by making it just something that's conducted purely for the purposes of entertaining tourists. This is a cultural event that's happened. You don't want
0: to cheapen it that way. Yeah.
2: Exactly. You know, and if you start doing it just, you know, to accommodate people who are coming to pay money, well, after a while, the quality and the historical aspect of it will be, you know, watered down to the point where it's just a cheap, cheap tourist draw, which a lot of festivals in Japan are, in my opinion. So right. uh, my, my original concept that I was trying to promote with the town was making an exclusive thing, something like the, the Trooping of the Colors, you know, in, in England when the Queen celebrates her birthday. You have, you know, the seats are sold out years in advance. There's a limited number of seats. That's all they take. Those are the, you know, it's the first thousand people and that's it. And uh, make it a very exclusive trip, bring in a certain number of people, give them an exclusive opportunity to view something really unique. And this way, you could also educate them about how they're to behave at the event, what they will see, and what it's all about. It's not just something to look at and walk away. It's something to appreciate and understand this deeper experience. And so I said, right. you know, make an exclusive tour, do this and that. So the, the video started as um, or the documentary sort of started as a way of we need to promote this and we need to preserve it um, because, again, it is dying. And I, I was passionate enough about the concept that I approached a fellow. Actually, he initially approached me about something, and then I, I think, threw the thought back, said, hey, here's something I'd like to do, and um, he was immediately in agreement once I showed him what I was hoping to do, and uh, that was pretty much the uh, origin of the documentary. And again, we weren't really supported any financially anywhere. It was all something we did out of our own pockets, But and it took a lot of convincing to actually let the members of the festival and the communities allow the documentary to go forward because they've had documentaries happen before and they've been really dissatisfied with what's happened or how it's been betrayed and right. so they were really reluctant we were going to do something that would be I don't know turn out really cheesy or you know show them in a bad light or whatever so um, but I had a good enough rapport in the community that they trusted me and and uh, said yeah we'll let you go forward and we'll let you see things that we haven't let other people see and uh, we'll you know get you some really good access and um, and, and, that, and they did. They pretty much honored their commitments that way. A few things they fell through on and sort of changed their mind at that sort of last moment. But it, we were quite lucky and fortunate, and I'm glad I did document some of the things in there because there, there are some uh, places in that film that were destroyed in the uh, tsunami. They're, they're gone. There are people as well, unfortunately. So I guess the, the, the hard part for me was is I was so connected in that community, and we started down this road And then the the fellow I was working with kind of fell down on the job. And I basically at one point, you know, because the town was like, where's where's the documentary? We're waiting for it. And I'm like, hey, it's in the hands of the director. I'm just just waiting to see what he does. And um, it, it wasn't coming down the pipe. And so finally I had to get on a plane and knock on his door and walk inside and lock myself in and say, hey, we're not leaving this room until it's done. And, um, that's literally how it, we finished it. We sat in a room for seven or eight days without leaving, you know, we, we ordered in and just sat in our own stink and, and pushed on with it and got it done. And because I'd made a commitment to these people and I was going to honor that, um, financially, it wasn't the wisest choice I've ever made. That's for sure. But I did honor my commitment. So that was an important part of it.
1: Next question. So, uh, yeah, you know, another thing too, is the, uh, uh, you know, aside from the festival itself, that really the centerpiece uh, of the whole festival is the armor. And mm-hmm. you know, looking at the way it's, you know, the, you know, they're riding horses, they're they're racing, they're doing all these things in the armor. And and for someone who's never worn armor and never really seen it up close, it really looks like Japanese armor was a little more utilitarian than I would have expected. It 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 seems a lot more flexible than I would have expected. It seems more. I, well, you know, meant for riding horses and running around than I would have ever expected. Is this uh, what what era of Japanese armor are they wearing? And I'm assuming it's all either original armor or reproduction armor. I'm assuming there's no, I don't know, plastic or <laughs> anything like that. But what what exactly? Uh, what what is the era of the armor? What type of armor is it that they they tend to all be wearing?
2: Um, there's a lots of good questions in there. Like uh, for the most part, the armor styles you're seeing are more reflective of sixteenth to seventeenth century sort of onward. The actually the, the Tonosama, the Daimyo, who is the thirty-sixth unbroken bloodline generation of that ta- of that area, they're actually the, the original family is still there, the former feudal lords, and they're very much treated like feudal lords still within the community. Um, people have a great deal of respect for them. When he rides, he's wearing items of armor from the uh, 15th century that his Mm. great, great, greatest of great grandfathers had wore. And that's pretty phenomenal. Um, The majority of riders, the more senior men, um, it's a matter of pride. A lot of them are wearing either heirloom or authentic items of armor that they've acquired. Most of it's Edo period. Some of them have um, pieces that are, uh, you know, earlier – Late Muromachi, Momoyama, uh, primarily more so in the kabutos that they're they're wearing, but more and more you're seeing reproduction armors being utilized, particularly by the younger men and the younger generation, just because they don't have the funds to afford, you know, to be able to acquire these older pieces, which are very expensive, and. Um, when you wear it and use it they get damaged and the dam you know has to be repaired as part of you know just the general preservation of the items and that in itself is also expensive so
0: you I, are I would seeing also, more
2: of that yes go ahead
0: i i would also think that uh just in the increase in average size would make a difference uh when you're trying to wear something that was that was made for people in the 15th and 16th century compared to the size of the average japanese person today uh, you know, that's on probably the young, a good point that's on, on the younger point. end, it, it it may be such that that they're putting stress on on things that weren't originally intended to have the, the that sort of stress and so that's another reason why you wouldn't want to wear you know great 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 great, great Oji uh <laughs> is uh, built for his five foot two well, frame, that's, that's definitely
2: so. true i know um there's a big demand for large you know, uh, carass or dough that are are larger in size to accommodate people. And you'll often see the shin guards look, you know, they're ridiculously short in in proportion to the rest of the man's lower leg. And, but uh, for the most part, they seem to get away with it. Um, I guess the older gentlemen who participate, as you're saying, you know, they're, they have more of that build of the post-war generation, as opposed to younger generations now tend to be taller, but, um, and as for the utilitarian aspect, I, I, I wore armor on multiple occasions for days on end uh, in the festival. And uh, yeah, you do realize how functional Japanese armor was, in my opinion, much more so than European armor, primarily because, and again, the styles that they're wearing for the festival are, you know, 16th, 17th century onward, not the earlier oyoroi type that were primarily for, you know, mounted archery duels, but in a time period when, the spear and the sword were more going to be the mainstay of your weaponry, if not even the, you know, a firearm. So there's a great deal of flexibility in the um, items of armor that cover the extremities, the arms and the legs and, and stuff. Um, the corse could be a little more rigid, but uh, overall, yeah, you have a great deal of uh, dexterity in, in Japanese armor, and um, it's uh, quite functional. It, it's quite surprising how functional it actually is the flip side to it again is a lot of it doesn't breathe and in that those temperatures and the humidity uh you dehydrate rapidly and uh, that was right. something you constantly had to be you know intaking water and pouring water over your cells and of course for most of them rather than water it meant more sake but uh they managed <laughs> to keep going but that's rural farmers for you
0: not not aquarius or plocuti sweat <laughs> no
1: <laughs> yeah that was uh, I was definitely impressed by that I've, I've never Never really thought about it, but you just get the image that Japanese armor is big and boxy and heavy. And when, you, but then when you see these guys like racing thoroughbreds or whatever these horses were, and and you know running around and everything, it's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have to ask, though, or I guess I should say I hate to ask, but uh, when you were there uh, participating, did you see? Did anyone say, "Hey, look at my traditional armor," and you, you realized that uh, you know what this this is parts of reproduction, this is a mismatch. Did you did you come across anything like that while you were while you were there?
2: Oh, yeah. All the time.
1: Sure.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, that was pretty common. And um, it's just the way it is. But just to flip back, though, about the armor, the styles that they're wearing, those, the the dough are actually designed to fit really close around the waist. They actually sit on your um, hip bones. And it's pulled very tight. So when you're riding, that armor isn't actually pounding down on your shoulders. It's all being carried by the, the waist. Um, which helps a lot in riding, which makes it far more endurable for long periods of time.
1: Yeah, I saw that in the uh in the documentary. I thought that was that was interesting. So basically it's it's uh sort of a, what, a uh girdle. Them, yeah, like a girdly type situation where the weight is basically held on the hips and it's just sort of off the shoulders. Is that
2: Yeah, exactly. Because if it would if they uh the weight was bore by the shoulders and you're riding and the, the caress is going to slide up and down on the torso and pound down on your shoulders, mm. within a pretty short period of time, you're going to be a physical basket case. You know? You're not going to be good for very much. So so it's um, very
1: functional, basically. Very functional. Yeah,
2: very functional.
1: So now we, you've, you've talked about the, the, the festival itself and it's that it extends back 1,080 years or so. So what, what exactly, do you know how the festival started and, and sort of the history, how, it, how it's gone from then until now?
2: Yeah, it. Um, they say it basically begins with Taira no Masakado, who's a fairly well-known uh, historical figure in Japanese history. And um, Taira no Masakado had lands in the Kanto region, which are particularly well-suited, or were, I should say, uh, for the rearing of horses. And this is a pretty pivotal time in Japanese uh, history, with the whole the samurai really coming of age and. Becoming a unique class under their own and the equestrian aspects of their martial skills are really being developed and Taira Masakado was a big supporter of that. Of course, without getting into too much history about him, he fell afoul of the, um, of the imperial court. There's different versions of what transpired, but in the end he was um, basically hunted down as a traitor and killed. Uh, but prior to that transpiring, uh, one thing that Taira de Mazzucato did to train his, the, the um, troops under his command or who were loyal to him was um, he would have them chase uh, wild horses through the uh, fields and corral them into certain areas. And part of this whole training was it improved the riders' equestrian abilities and helped them develop tactics and stuff. So that, this was one of the early origins of where the festival um, came from. Eventually, a uh, descendant of Tairana um married uh, a, a woman from the Soma region, which is roughly, it's in the northeastern part of Honshu, a couple hours south of modern day Sendai. And this is how they believe the Soma name comes into uh, the no Masikado sort of lineage um, from there, roughly around the 12th century, members of that clan um, moved northward to the domains that they held for most of the rest of the feudal period. And um, the clan crest of the Somahon is actually a, a rearing horse kicking. And they were quite renowned for their equestrian skills, breeding of uh, horses, etc. And uh, the domains they settled in Soma were, again, well suited to the breeding and rearing of horses. Once they'd settled in the Soma area, uh, one of the other things, they continued this practice of uh, corralling um, wild horses to train their uh, samurai and equestrian skills. And another thing they added to this, which is actually pretty impressive and is now reenacted, or I guess you'd say is, uh, it's not really a reenactment because they still do it, but they're, they're, they still do this event on the third day of the present day modern uh, Soma festival is um, after they've corralled horses from a field into a um, through a narrow gate and then they run it towards a, a a shrine and once it's into the shrine compound men are there waiting and they have to physically wrestle the horse down and that used to be another part of the you know you're proving your bravery and manhood that uh, groups of men would physically you know, swarm these horses and uh, grabbing the manes and, you know, hanging on around their necks. They'd wrap their legs around the four legs of the horse and in numbers physically force it to the ground. And um, after the horse was captured, uh, one of the leaders of the clan would um, then designate it to be given to a certain individual for training and they'd break the horse and train it for, you know, using it for purposes of war. So that's something that's um, still done today but the main purpose of the festival now the modern festival is a three-day event and what it was really done uh, what it really represents i should say is that um the soma han was located immediately south of the date han uh, which includes date masamune and by the height of the uh, sengoku period they had something like 30 different conflicts with the date han in a period of about 50 years and they were Constantly at war, but the Soma was relatively small, and though they had a very respectable lineage, particularly because of their connection with the Masakado and the imperial family, a lot of people didn't trouble them too much. Although Date seemed to be pretty um, committed to giving them a bad time, and um, they were farmer samurai, and their domain was only about 60. 2000 koku or something like that whereas the Date han was over 620,000 koku and so to resist these continued you know attacks from the north from the da- most primarily from the Date han uh, they had to be able to react to any threat in a very timely manner and so what they would have to do is, you know, when a word came down that there was a potential, you know, invasion or some sort of trouble on the border, messengers would be sent out throughout the, uh, the domain and each little rural farm area would have a captain or a regional leader and he would rally all his men. They would go to a certain rally point, move to another rally point George join with another group, which would then carry on to an- another pre-designated rally point joined with a larger formation, and it was kind of like a, a spider web collapsing in on itself, that it went from multiple rings towards the center and consistently growing bigger. And as each group rallied and joined another group, they'd head on to another rally point and then eventually meet up with the uh, tonosama, the Daimyo, and from there they'd move off to engage the enemy. And that's what the modern-day festival is meant to uh not recreate again because again they the locals take this as a very serious part of their local traditions and it's something they've always done and continue to do. But that is really what you're seeing is it's a military maneuver practicing to repel an enemy and um, rally your troops in as little as time as possible.
0: So to put that into kind of the context of of things, other things we've talked about on the uh, the podcast before, if our, if the listeners. Uh, remember the descriptions we've had about uh, Okehazama. It sounds very similar to you know, Nobunaga starting out with like five guys and then moving from point to point and picking up uh, additional followers along the route to go engage uh, the Imagawa at uh, Okehazama. So uh, you know, just kind of tying that back to other things we've talked about, but it, it, it sounds very interesting from a historical study aspect. Of just how exactly did these things happen?
2: Yeah, it, it, it really is. And that's, I think that's a perfect example. Because, again, it was showing how these small local units were, you know, they knew where they had to go once they received the message, this is your rally point. Gather your men as fast as you can. Move. You join up with other units. And it, it was a, it's a really excellent example of um, the sort of organizational side of um, the Sengoku period tactics anyway. And, and I, I, I found that quite almost- amazing.
0: I, I can almost imagine a uh, a Sengoku period uh, Paul Revere uh, riding through the countryside of uh, Soma, uh, shouting the Date are coming, the Date are coming, <laughs> and uh, everybody grabbing their uh, their armor and weapons and and uh, meeting at uh, the 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 equivalents of Lexington or Concord.
2: So, yeah, well, that's I mean fundamentally what it was, and um, pretty pretty interesting experience. And I mean. Some of the things that I enjoyed in the time that I was there, um, again, it was just such a a time slip in many cases. And again, the, the people who participate, like if you're a general in the modern festival, you're not just a general because you chose to be one or you wear the uniform of a general. You're a general because you have 40 years service. You've participated consecutively for 40 some years. You've earned that title. And, um, you're treated like a general in the community, not like people are giving you, you know, salutes and <laughs> high fives all over the place. But right. there's a definite respect within the community for those individuals. And they behave in a manner, what would you say, that you would expect of someone of that stature. And um, and they're very, you know, it, it's very impressive. And again, there's they expect you not only again to you're just it's a three-day event and it's over this uh if you hold a title or a position that title carries with you all year long and if you do anything to dishonor that you know you're going to lose that position and uh that was really neat and I, I liked the fact that um well for example i remember riding down streets and uh, you know people would bow to you and you know you're riding through the traffic the traffic stops and you know and I, group of horsemen rush through the streets you know to get to their rally point and right. um and people are bowing to you on the streets and it's not that they're bowing to me that you know that was the thrill but it was that there's this respect within the community here are our samurai and i remember riding back into um one of the towns and children coming out of the store the local businesses and going oh our samurai are back and you're like yeah. wow that is really cool our samurai are back right and um well, and it, it's it, Go
0: ahead. it's so different. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned other festivals and 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 so forth, and of course, you know, all all three of us have have been to uh, multiple festivals around the uh, the country. Um, so many of them, uh, as as you said, you know, are are commercialized and uh, you know become tourist. I guess you know they're 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 almost put on for for the, for the tourists, which. Is neither here nor there. I'm not going to, you know, say that that's that's a negative thing. If a community, you know, markets its history, like uh, um, I, I'll use Nagoya because I'm, I'm most familiar with that. But you know, they have the big Nagoya Matsuri and you know, big huge parade with lots of people in costume from various time periods. Most of them, you know, Sengoku period because of the history of Nagoya uh, and so forth. And it's enjoyable and it's fun and it's fine. But it's very different when, you know, like you you mentioned the samurai general being somebody who done that, uh, you know, who's participated and is a local community member, uh, you know, partici- who's participated for for forty some odd years or whatever. Um, whereas you know, in the in like the Nagoya Matsuri, it's some famous actor or somebody, yeah, uh, right. you know, that they get to come in and it kind of brings in that additional, you know, it'd be like a you know, getting George Clooney to come in and play uh, the Grand Marshal at the, the, the parade or something like that. Right. Um, yeah. It's just it's a, it's a very different approach to it, which is, of course, all of us are going to look at it from the perspective of people interested in Japanese history. And so are going to find, and, you know, I think our listeners as well will find that very uh, interesting and refreshing. Uh, and and certainly something that uh, you know we, that's beneficial yeah, that, to continue. That
2: was the beauty of it that it was for the most part it wasn't really polluted with any other agendas. Right. And um, a lot of the events that happen at the festival, if you actually are someone who's going to go and try to see this, most of them you'll never see because they're taking places in private homes, private yards. There's a lot of little things that are happening that you just don't see like these rally right. points where they are. People don't know. And um, there's the main events, which are you know, pretty obvious when they're taking place, like the Gyoritsu and stuff. But the, there's a lot of very interesting um, sort of sub activities happening that you'll really never get to know unless you're really well connected in that community. Right. And then, you know, so you got to be on the other side of the fence in that yard to see this happen. And, you know, how are you going to know about that unless you know someone who's there? And, again, that was one of the beauties is it wasn't really yeah. polluted with any other agendas or marketing. And, and um, you know, as you said, you know, actors or celebrities to, you know, add some extra marketing to it.
0: Um, right. It, it's like you said, you know, it's it's for them. So they have those other uh, things that aren't for public consumption. Exactly. Uh, you, you know, and so forth. Where. I can't imagine that at the uh like I've been to the uh, to the to the Gyoretsu in Odawara, which was also very nice and very interesting and, and, and lots of fun. But I mean the big thing is they, they do a ceremony at, at odawara Joe and then there's the uh procession around the city. Mm-hmm. And that's it though. Like right. I don't imagine that they're spending multiple days, you know, doing any sort of uh you know, ceremonial preparation um, other than, you know, maybe a, a couple uh, short Shinto ceremonies right before or, or whatever, but it's not this, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not an event the way that you're describing the Soma uh, No, And again, yeah,
2: like the participants, like a lot of the riders, um, they're spending weeks and, and uh, months in advance, uh, you know, getting up early in the morning and riding their horses down the beaches to, you know, get, you know, bring up their equestrian abilities and uh, there's lots of practice involved and you know uh, lectures on the you know they're very stringent again about how someone wears their armor how the horse equipment's put on because the japanese horse furnishings and they use basically only traditional horse furnishings in this festival some guys are using old kura and everything but you know they're lacking strength so a lot of them are you know they're reproduced they're exact modern day you know reproductions of what they were there's no plastic or anything but um The horse furnishings were tied on in Japan. There's no buckles or anything. All the pieces are tied on. And you really have to know how to do this or it's all going to come undone in a really unsightly, horrific mess, which will probably involve you. And (laughs) um, so you had to take training and time to practice these skills. And, you know, you were expected to be out there, you know, taking care of your horse and brushing it down and picking up the poop and doing it all. It wasn't just uh, for the glory of the ride. And, you know, and there was a lot of events, again, like going out in the morning and offering some sake to a local, you know, a local shrine or something. And um, it was really quite a experience. I mean, one of my best memories was riding down a lane. I was about this fifth or sixth guy in a column. And we went down a very narrow rural lane and there was bamboo sort of hanging over on both sides in a very old cottage. And it was like, if it hadn't been for the asphalt on the street, it was a perfect time slip for about three seconds, you know, because nice. just looking ahead and seeing these other guys gallop in their armor, you know, flopping up and down on the, you know, and all that, it was like, wow, fantastic. And that was worth all the effort. But as you're saying, in this festival, like the Gyoritsu in, um, in uh, well, now they call it Minamisomashi, but it used to be called Haramachi. When the Gyoritsu with the tonosama comes through the town, nobody is allowed to be on a level higher than him. And if any of the samurai in the line see you, like, standing on a veranda or something, they'll come in and they'll force you down. Or uh, I've seen it many times, people try to cut across (laughs) the parade route, and they'll ride right into the crowd, find that person, and force them back across the street. And often motivate them with a few good whips from their riding crop.
0: (laughs) Interesting.
2: Yeah, whereas, you know, anywhere else, that would just be unthinkable. But here, people understand, you know, you just insulted you know, the tonosama, And right. it's just, it's part of sort of the flavor too. They like that roughness and uh, the whole thing, but very, very authentic in that regard, how you wear your armor, how you tie the knots, how your heraldry, for example, it's not just you're flying a flag that appeals to you, you're flying one that you are entitled to wear. And they have books. I remember when I was trying to find my heraldry, it was, it was a really trying event and um they were referencing edo period books with all the flags used by the different members in the community god oh, well you right. can't use that that one's spoken for or this one we would have never had and so they're very serious about that and um
0: what did and, and you that's eventually what settle on and how did you settle on it uh, you know what
2: eventually in frustration my my lineage is scottish so um eventually in frustration i went through so many different designs and proposals and got Poo-pooed on all of them and finally I said, oh, God, I'm, you know, this is really frustrating. And I drew a Scottish Saltaire. I don't know if you know the Scottish flag. Uh, blue field with a white cross um, right. diagonally across it. And um, and I said, how about that? And I turned it on end. And they went, oh, yeah, actually, that was one of our local symbols. And apparently nobody's using it right now. Huh. And I was like, you got to be kidding. And so <laughs> I ended up having the uh, Scottish flag turned on end as my uh that was my first heraldry and then i upgraded to a decapitated head symbol which (laughs) i was quite proud of and uh and then when i was promoted to a messenger you're um, issued a flag that uh, has the symbol of a rearing horse on it which was the symbol of messengers for the clan so
1: it really reminds me of uh sorry I'm uh, just going to say it It really reminds me of like the, the hardcore U.S. Civil War reenactors where everything down to the buttons on your your, your shirt have to be authentic. And, uh, you know, the, every little thing, they, they just write down to the smallest little detail. They try to make perfect. And, you know, another thing that really comes across in the documentary is, and like you said, maybe maybe it is a three-day festival, but, the preparation that must go into that just on an individual level, you know, riding horses and this sort of thing, they must be preparing for months on end before it actually happens.
2: Yeah. Oh, they are. They are. And uh, it's funny if you, I, I believe you've seen the documentary, the uh, the uh, sword master and uh, the, the horror guy master early in the documentary. I don't know if you remember that character. When the samurai culture is really important to these people, people. And for example, one of my, was a great friend of mine. He was an older man. He was definitely gave me a lot of support. Um, he was a general in the festival. It was a big supporter of my being involved, um, educated me a great deal on the traditions and the things that were expected in the festival. Um, for example, when his son, his daughter married, the man that married his daughter had to change his name to join their family because they were a samurai family. And that tradition in most of Japan is dead. But in Soma, that's still alive. So if you're joining our family, I don't care who you are, we're samurai. You're not, you take our name. And so even traditions like that are observed by many families. You
0: you joining us is an upgrade for you.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah and uh but the the sword man that i was
2: talking about earlier in the documentary i remember one evening actually it was at one of the i might have been one of the final screenings of the documentary and everyone was quite pleased and you know had been a lot of sake consumed and we were just leaving the house of um that couple that i talked about earlier who's you know went devastated in the tsunami And I was in the Gang con and I'd already stepped down to the lower level. And he was one step up and they had one of these beautiful traditional homes. And I looked at his eyes and I watched his eyes look up, look at the big cross beam across the game con, look down at me. And I realized what he was thinking. He was going, could I draw my sword, miss the beam and slice him in half? (laughs) (laughs) And even though we were friends, I just knew this is really how these guys still think. And it wasn't meant in a you know, antagonistic sort of way. I I was kind of, I found it really entertaining that that's what went through his mind. And he told me, he said, yeah, I think I could have made that, you know. uh, I thought that was pretty cool. But it's amazing that there aren't many uh, actual incidents like that because of the amount of alcohol that's regularly consumed during this event. And most of the guys are, you know, they're trudging around town with real swords in their, um, you know, stuffed through their OBs. Even though you're not supposed to, everyone knows they are, and they're all, you know, trudging around town with their tantos and, you know, wakazashis and nobody seems to get sliced up in the end. But uh, there are a lot of injuries, more so just from the events that take place um, during the course of the the festival. It's not uncommon for a couple of horses to um, be killed. Um, usually through riding accidents, falling or, you know, other injuries. And uh, riders quite often get beat up pretty badly through the same falls. And uh, I remember one year, uh, a spectator was killed by stepping out in front of a, a horse that was galloping down the track. She thought all of them had passed by, didn't realize one had started late and was behind the main group and stepped out to look as they ran off. And then the follow up horse came behind and and, and hit her and killed her because that's like getting hit by a car, of course, and so it's a very um, It's a very rough thing to do as well. It's not just you know all flowers and fun It's um, you got to be you know prepared to get a lot of bruises and scrapes and be pretty sore by the end of three days of it And I've probably lost about 15 pounds for dehydration but, Right so.
1: Okay, and that's it for part one of our talk on the Soma Noma Oi Festival with Trevor. And we'll be back in about two weeks with part two. Now, in the meantime, head over to SamuraiPodcast.com for all back episodes and also links to our various means of getting support for the podcast. Our Amazon link that if you use, it kicks a little over to me to pay for the podcast. And we also have our t-shirt shop and our bookstore. So... If you'd like to pick up a book, please go through our bookstore. It's powered by Amazon, shipped by Amazon, everything Amazon, but it's just our bookstore. So that means just a little bit will get kicked back to us and not at any additional cost to you. So it's appreciated. And you know, if you have time, head over to iTunes and uh, feel free to give us a five-star review. And I've said it in the past, but I don't think the words even matter. I think it doesn't really matter at all what you write, just as long as you write something. You could just write the alphabet. And it would still count as a positive review, provided you give us five stars. But hey, I would expect nothing less from the loyal listeners. Anyway, with that, catch you next week. Or actually, no, catch you in two weeks. Bye-bye.